love talking the gospel, and my my life is has been transformed by the gospel. So I'll just let you guys know what happened to me. And my goal here tonight is that you not only see Christ, but you see that nothing could have changed me like Christ changed me. Can everyone hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. So sex, drugs, rock and roll. I should be dead or in prison. I'm 38 years old right now. When I was a young, younger, I was an idiot. I've experienced every pleasure you could possibly want to experience in this world. All the while calling myself a Christian. Grew up in a Christian home. Now, growing in the faith, I see that it wasn't really a Christian home. It was a Christian in name only home. I always thought I grew up in a Christian home until I matured. So, let me back up. So like in Paul in Philippians 3, I kind of had a character for Paul. He, he starts almost sounding, sounding like he's bragging about who he is or who he was, saying, I was a man among men, basically. I had everything you could ever want. I was, as far as the law went, as far as society went, as far as stature and, and power, that was it. Show me one better than I. And then he goes on right there, halfway through verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's kind of like what I feel. Now, I'm not claiming, standing up here claiming I'm a man among men, but I, I've been there, I've done that. And nothing has changed me. Nothing has captivated me. Nothing satisfies me more than knowing Christ. So growing up in a Christian home, I thought I was Christian. I knew God was real, though, from a young age. I don't ever remember not thinking God was real. Of course you grow up, you have questions, you learn, you grow. But all we just knew Christ was there. <clears throat> After, I think I was pretty innocent, pretty naive, pretty, uh, never read my Bible. I went to church all the time. I knew God was there. So if we went to church, was the right thing to do. And I never really read the Bible for myself. You reopen it up, you read a chapter, you read a verse, or you look at well, not back then, but memes that, you know, encourage you for the day. Um, so I lived the way I wanted to live. Graduated high school, moved to Vegas. It was time to rock and roll and, and do what I wanted to do because God will forgive me. I'm not going to die right now. I'm going to go do what I want to do. God will forgive me. I'm not killing anybody. So many years went on like this. Hurt myself, hurt a lot of people, did a lot of dumb things. Like I said, dead or in prison. But then something happened. Not only was the grace of God shown in my life immensely because due punishment should have been my future, patience with me, direction, wisdom with me, getting slapped in the top of the head with, what are you doing with your life? I have better things planned for you. I felt God in my life like that quite a few times, and I still chose otherwise. So when I was about 30 years old, I had been serving in the church for a long time, playing band, of course. It's the only way you could get me into church, get me on stage. And finally, I opened my Bible. I'm like, I got to do this. I gotta, if I'm claiming to be a Christian, I, I'll get into arguments for Christ. I'll, I'll fight the good fight for the truth, all the while being very naive. I call it swimming in the kiddie pool of faith. 
so I start reading, and uh, somewhere around Judges or or somewhere, I'm like four or five books in the Bible. It was like a light switch turned on. I was laying in bed. That's what I would do tonight. I would lay on my stomach, Bible open, read as much as I could before I was just too tired to concentrate anymore and go to bed. Light switch kicked on because I began to see God's hatred and disgust and wrath that was going to be upon all the sin in the world. To see the wrath that he had on those people. You didn't take a Sabbath, so I'm going to burn you to the ground type hatred of sin. Because if I tell you to do something, you need to do it because my main concern for you is to be holy. That kind of judgment, much worse than that. I got scared. I had that fear that I feel like you're supposed to have a God, but it felt little unhealthy because I was afraid. But then I remembered Christ. And I can't ever say this without doing this because I, I, the bigness of God... I never saw God that big. I never beheld God the way that I did at that moment. And I remember thinking, but Christ. But Christ is king. He has washed my sin away. He has died for my sin. That's what the New Testament tells us over and over and over again. And from then on, so what does that mean? Right? I knew God had died for my sins before. That's no new information. What changed? Because I saw the bigness of God. And then the mercy of God on my life and the grace of God bestowed upon me was like, I can't go on living the way I was living. This God is willing to save me. I must follow him. I need to share this with more people. And so that moment changed my life. And from then on, and this is okay, let's even back up a little bit more. High school, school, any type of school, forget about it. Like just, I cheated my way through high school. That's how I got through. And Never read a book in my life. There's, I don't care. That's just not me. So when I start, that's why I was so hard, I think, to open up the Bible and start reading. So once that happened, I could not read enough. I read probably 10 books in that year that I finished the Bible, and I just was hungry for information. That doesn't happen to you with, with false information, with false doctrine. God came in and changed my life. The gospel calls for a response. So who cares, right? Who cares, Steve? You're saying that. You're telling me your story. That's cool. Well, how, what does that have to do with me? Now I know. I don't know any of you in here, probably except for my wife and my band. But y'all can relate to me in some way right now. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Or something. How long have you been fighting? How long have you been tired of struggling through trying to be a good person, trying to do more, to, to better things, or go to church, or and it's just not working. You're not in awe. You've heard the truths. Or maybe this is the first time you've heard these truths. And that just sounds weird. Talking about blood. We're singing about blood. Like, I don't... It's, it's weird. <laughs> but what I learned that night, when, I, when the light switches clicked on, was there is no faith without action. There is no love without action. We aren't saved by works. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. But if we believe what the gospel is, what Christ has done for us, then it has to change how we act, and there has to be a response to it. So, this is going to move on right to what I want to talk about tonight, is what's one of the most important questions you can ask them? What must I do to be saved? 
brilliant question by the rich young ruler that ran up to Christ and said, what must I do to be saved? Oh, Jesus must have been just like, yes, that's what I want to hear, my son, yes. But, you know, the story, he went away in shame because God, Jesus told him to sell all the stuff and follow me. He just, he couldn't do it. The question of salvation and what a person must do to be saved begins with the reality that God draws us in first, which is why we are able to respond to him in the first place. So us coming to God, us coming to any kind of faith, the, the gift of belief is one of the first things, one of the first graces that God was doing upon us, because we can't believe this stuff without his blessing. That doesn't mean we just dumb down, though. We ask for it. We say, God, open up my, my mind. Soften my heart to this stuff. I want to understand it. However, when God speaks to our hearts and reveals our need for salvation, many times we reject him. Amen? We choose to close our hearts to God and refuse to accept that there is a sin problem that has resulted in separation from him. We cannot be sinning and be close to him. Anybody that tells you different is a her heretic liar. We need to be searching, seeking after him. We're always going to be falling short and always going to be sinning in this life, but we are not sinners if you follow Christ. Christ has died for our sins. We still struggle with sin, but we are not sinners. Unless our hearts are in a place of knowing that we need to be saved, it remains closed. How can our hearts become open to God and our need for salvation become apparent? This is where God comes into play. The scriptures are God's blueprint for salvation, and truth can be found in the Bible if we will open our hearts to God and His truth. My heart was closed to this word years, 30 years, can you pull Christian? While some may believe there is no need for salvation, and if we don't think we need to be saved, guaranteed you will never ask for it. If you never ask for it, you will never receive it. However, just because a person doesn't feel or believe that they need to be saved, doesn't mean that they're not in danger, that they don't need to be saved. Paul shares that all, not some, have fallen short of glory of God, in Romans 3.23 and that all are in either part of salvation through Jesus Christ. All have fallen short of the glory of God because of the presence of evil and sin. Every person is born into sin from Adam. In Romans 5, it talks about how all under Adam's sin has, have now been cursed with sin from birth. But Christ, all that come to Christ, now Christ's work on the cross covered all that sin. Sin separates all people from God, and it is sin that keeps us turned away from God as we are drawn into a world system of greed, pride, and total depravity. Evil represents all that is not of God, and the darkness of evil stands in direct opposition to the light of God. God is love, yeah, God is also light, and there's no darkness in it. Because God is holy and perfect, the great separation between, between him and evil can only be diminished through the plan that God has put in place for us. We've all heard John 3.16. We can probably all quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those who are not saved through Christ will perish. It sounds like an uplifting verse. We use it a lot, but I think everyone focuses too much on so God so loved the world that he gave his only son. They miss. Not the more important part, but the, still the truth of who God is and what the gospel means. That all will perish. And those who do not choose him will perish and not have eternal life. God provided the remedy for sin, and sin is the problem. 
It is up to us to open our hearts and believe in what we have heard as God has called us to be saved. We all need to be saved. God has put a plan in action that we are not left in our sin, which assures that we can fully be reconciled to Him. Fully reconciled to Him. Not partially, not a little bit. We literally become His children. He becomes our Father. Because of Christ and the gift of salvation, there is no longer condemnation for those in Christ. No need to fear. God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've heard these, but no one comes to the Father. I don't think we get the gravity of His words sometimes. They, they, they go numb in our brain. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. And if you want to know me, you know my Father as well. When we turn to the Scriptures, we have full access to God's truth, and this allows the opportunity to learn about Him. God has given you everything you need in the Bible. Forget all the what are they even called anymore? The people who just want to spout all these crazy theories about the Bible and yada, yada, yada. There's power in the Word of God, just as it is. And we can't claim that God is silent when our Bibles are being closed. Unfortunately, there are many false doctrines and teaching that twist God's truth. And it is imperative to know God's Word in order to test what you hear. We can't be swayed to and fro just because we don't know the truth. First question, what must I do to be saved? Let's go back to the, that was the point. Well, you must hear the gospel. Right now, I'm telling you the gospel. Are you listening? What is the gospel? You know how many bad answers I get to this question? It's the most simple foundational question. And people, even Christians, can't answer it accurately, clearly, simply. I love it. I think it was Einstein that said, if you can't explain something to a, a fifth grader, then you don't understand it well enough. What is the gospel? The gospel is simply this. A perfect and holy God creates humankind, Adam and Eve. They willfully sin and separate has occurred, separation has occurred. But God in his kindness and mercy does not leave us in our sin. He sends himself in the form of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, to live, die, and rise from the dead for those who will believe in him. One day Jesus will return for his people and spend eternity forever in glory with the Trinity, which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and three persons. Let's look at the Gospel, what the Gospel is not, because this is extremely important because there's so many, so many bad teachers out there that you guys need to be aware of. The Gospel is not merely the message that God loves you, believe it or not. Many churches teach a false doctrine that God is all love and that God's, and God loves all. While God is love, he is a balanced God who also hates sin and will pour out his wrath against sin through judgment at the end of the age. See the book of Revelation. An example of this balance, this is important because we think, well, we don't like the God that hates. Can't we just have the God that's love and light? Great human example of this is you cannot claim to love children unless you hate child abuse. And that's just a small little human example of what we can give as an understanding for that. God loves humanity but hates sin and God will judge it accordingly. Why does he hate sin? We've just talked about it. He wants to be close to us. He can be close to us if we were lost, if we were lost in our sin. Without God's perfect and holy judgment, his love would be empty and meaningless. If he didn't, love, if he didn't hate well, he couldn't love well. 
So to say that God is all love without recognizing that he is also just, holy, and balanced is, is, is to put forth a false doctrine of the true nature of God. Number two, the gospel is not God gives you a second chance. It is much more than that. God is not our servant or some genie in the bottle. He is not like a credit card who only appears when you need it. God is the giver of life. Like we say, he made us alive. He is the breath in our lungs. He is our existence. And Christ holds everything together in his hands. It says that in the Bible over it. And not only was everything created for him and through him and by him, but he sustains all of life. Christ has taken a dead creation and made them alive again by his own sacrifice. This means that God is at the center of everything that is good and should also be at the center of our lives. Number three, the gospel is not God wants you to be a good person. First off, there are no good people. We're told that in the Bible as well. Even Jesus said there is no one good but God. Mark 10. Of course, what Jesus really was saying here is that he is God, which would also mean that Jesus was good. We define good by human standards, but using God's standard, no one is good. Therefore, God is not concerned with our attempts to be good. He is concerned with our eternal salvation, with our holiness, with our purity. We can only get that by his power. The only good in us is Christ. <coughs> the truth about the gospel, we, can do, we cannot do anything to please God or make ourselves right or justified before him. It is only through the righteousness of Christ that we are able to live holy. Christ literally takes off our dirty rags, our soiled, ripped, stinky rags. It says, give them to me. I'm going to give you my perfect white robes that can never be defiled because I love you. Because you've chosen to follow me, you are now a child of mine. The fruit of our lives may result in good things, but this is only because of Christ in us. We, as fallen humans, will always be imperfect and continue to sin. We, have declared, we are declared righteous before God. When you're a child of God, he doesn't see you as sinners. Like I said earlier, we're not sinners anymore. We still sin. We are not perfect. But God sees us through the righteousness of Christ. God has given us his righteousness, his perfect, clean robe. But we not grow numb to these truths. As much as you have heard them or, or just are beginning to hear them, these are truths that we cannot just, oh yeah, I heard that God died. Reading God's word is so important because it helps us see the macro plan of God and the awesomeness of what he has done through his great plan of salvation. It's so amazing. The God who created all things and holds all power in his hands calls our hearts to be reconciled to him. So again, what must I do to be saved? First, like I said before, ask God to soften your heart and show his truth to you. Because our hearts are naturally hardened and closed, only God can do such work within us. We are rebellious by nature, and no one can receive the gospel truth of Christ without God working in us. So ask, you will not be denied. Second, you must believe in Jesus. Mere knowledge is not enough to be saved. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Even the demons have a great theology of who God is that doesn't save them. You must trust and follow him. Pray to God and ask him for, ask him to illuminate the truth of Christ in your heart and mind. God promises, seek me and you will find me. 
God wishes none to perish. But he will not force himself on you. When we don't choose him, we don't get him. And it's hell without him. That's your choice. Third, to be saved, you must trust God and repent of your sin. So you need to hear it. You need to believe it and respond to it. And that's the repenting of your sin. Trust that God is who he says he is. And also trust that the work of Christ on the cross is enough to save you. Oftentimes we think that we still need to do something. That we're still trying to earn some kind of favor of God. Please, let me climb this rope as I struggle and toil to, to, to say, God, notice me. Notice all this good stuff I'm doing. God says, I don't, that doesn't mean anything to me. You are my child. You've already been brought back to me. Now just share, my, share me. Share this truth, truth with others. I don't want this to sound like a doomsday threat or, um, you know, as we talk about it's hell without him, but the literal meaning of hell is the absence of God. If you don't choose God, why would you want him for eternity? Ask for forgiveness for those things that God is showing you that have brought harm in your life. The things that you know are tearing you down, the things that you know are broken, give it to God. You, are not, you can't clean yourself up before you come to God. That's not how it works. Lay those things at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you're enough. You've taken this for me. Ask God to give you strength and the righteousness of Christ so that you may be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like I said before, nothing could change me. If this wasn't real, I would not be changed right now, eight years later. Continue growing and living through the power of the Holy Spirit who has been given to you as a free gift from God. Again, this isn't anything of our own strength all by the power of the Spirit inside of us. Most importantly, stay in God's Word. Study the Bible and allow the truth of His Word to shape you as you mature in your faith. God speaks through His Word, so read it. You cannot claim God is silent when your Bible is shut. Your life with God will be filled with joy. There will be challenges, but you will overcome it because He is now your Father. And only one's good for you. I encourage you to ask God to open your heart and receive eternal life, for He is good always. I'll be hanging out afterwards. If you guys have any questions or want to talk about anything, like I said, I love talking the Bible. And I would love to sing one more song for you guys if we're not too late. What time is it? You did time. You did time? Yeah, you're good. Um, this song's super, super cool to me because <coughs> it's, it's straight out of Psalms. And one thing Psalms is lacking is Christ. Christ hasn't come yet. So we, we sing, and it's pretty cool because take advantage of it. When I start singing, you can sing along because you'll never be able to sing right to the people who wicked in any church service ever again. We sing, because the first two verses in chorus are straight out of the Psalms. To the Lord I cry aloud. He answers me from his holy place. I lie down to sleep. I wake up again. Because the Lord sustains me, I will not fear the many raised up against me. David, fearing for his life. Arise, deliver me, break the teeth of the wicked, protect me, God. Many rise against me, they say of my soul, there is no salvation there. Oh Lord, you are my shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Arise, deliver me, break the teeth of the wicked. Ah, but then Jesus comes in. Jesus cried aloud, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do when they took all my sin. Even though I nailed his hands, his still rescued me. 
He'll return and judge evil. But Jesus is pardoned. Last chorus. He rose, delivered me, even though I was wicked.